What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So this morning, I'm going to talk about the Juan Soto situation and what's going on there in Washington with him potentially being traded. I'll also give my predictions for tonight's home run derby, and we'll also break down my best plays available heading into day two of the MLB draft, which is today, rounds 3 through 10, starting at 2 p.m. at MLB.com. So to start off with Juan Soto, he just denied a 15-year, $440 million contract extension with the Washington Nationals. He was going to be set to get $29.33 million per year, which would have made him the 20th highest-paid player in MLB history per year, according to Mike Axisa of CBS Sports. The Nationals' third offer over the last few months was the 15-year, $440 million contract extension, and with it being denied, it seems like their only option is to trade him. $440 million would have made him the highest-paid player in MLB history, surpassing Mike Trout, who received a 12-year, $426 million extension from the LA Angels in 2019. Uh, one thing about Soto is that his agent is Scott Boris, so you know Soto will definitely get the money he wants and deserves. He has two and a half years left to control with the Nationals, left on his current deal. He won't be a free agent until after the 2024 season, so he won't be a free agent until the 2025 free agency class. But it just seems like at the end of the day, there's nothing that the Nationals can do at this rate. My take on it is that if you're Soto and he doesn't want to play for Washington, then okay, I completely understand you know, denying the $440 million. But at the end of the day, if it's really the money situation, which I get, I mean, he wants the money he deserves and he has the talent to get, to get anything he deserves. But if I were him, and this is solely based on the money, I think it's very risky because if you think about it, let's say he gets you know, $400, $440 million over 12 years instead of $440 million over 15 years, he'd be at $36.66 million per year instead of the 29.99 he's making over 15 years now. But now he'll be a free agent and at the end of that contract at 35 and probably won't make a ton of more money on a new contract after that. So at the end of the day, he's really risking the chances of making $440 million over 12 years, let's say. He's risking trying to get more money, you know, more money per year with maybe the same amount, $440, $450 million. I'm sure he probably wants $500 million. Scott Boris always gets his clients to get the most money. So I would not be surprised if Soto gets that. He has the talent, obviously, to make that money. But if I were him, though, what I'm saying is, at $440 million over 15 years, you're still making $440 million over 15 years. And if you try to take, let's say, 440 and cut it down to 12 years, you'll be making $36.66 million per year, so a lot more per year. But at the end of that, at the end of that contract, let's say in 2037, you're not going to get much more money added on at the end of that contract. You're not going to be making, you know, you're not going to be signing another 10-year deal at 35 years old. So at the end of the day, I think he's risking the chances of making $440 million. He's trying to risk trying to make more money per year. At the end of the day, if he ever were to get hurt, he'd lose that chance of making a big contract. So if I were him, I would take the 440 if I was happy in Washington. If I'm not happy in Washington, I would completely understand it and I would leave. But if I were him, I think the best idea for him, if he wanted, if money, it's, that's what it really came down to. I think it's best for him to play it safe and take his $29.33 million per year. Although, at the end of the day, obviously, he could be getting $40 million per year. That's how much talent he has. So I completely understand if he wants to leave based off that as well. But now that opens up the idea that the Nationals, at least the front office, they really did all they could. This deal would have made him the 20th highest paid player per year in MLB history. And then also he would have been the highest paid player in Major League history with $440 million. Uh, as I said, Mike Trout was 
is right now first, would have been second if Soto were to accept that offer. Mike Trout right now is first at twelve years, $426 million, which he signed that, as I said, in 2019. But I think with Soto, I think he wants his money. I think he'll get his money, and he completely deserves it. He's such a great talent, and I think you'll see that tonight, hopefully in the home run derby. I'll give my predictions in a few minutes. But I think at the end of the day, if it were to come down to money and it's he really just wants more money per year – then, you know, that's a decision he'll have to make with Scott Boris. Uh, and at the end of the day, he's probably going to get the money he wants. But if it really is just over that money and he's happy in Washington, I would try to negotiate and try to stay if that were to be me. But I completely understand if he wants to leave too. I think it's evident that Washington really isn't going to be a winning team probably for the next three to four years. So if Soto were to leave, it'd still be such a legend in the Washington Nationals franchise forever, just being part of the 2019 World Series team. But at the end of the day, it's a decision he's going to have to make with Scott Boris, and that's a tough decision whether or not he will be leaving Washington. I know they have the right to trade him now. They have two and a half years left on his deal, so I guess it won't go down to uh, his decision at the end of the day if he were to be leaving, uh, especially after you know Washington really did all they could, 15 years, $440 million for a smaller market franchise. That's about all they can give at the end of the day. So I'll definitely monitor that situation and update you guys as things come along. Uh, so now I'm going to move on to the home run derby, the current layout is that each hitter gets three minutes to start in the first round and also in the semifinals round. And then every hitter gets 30 seconds added on to their time after the regulation time of three minutes ends, no matter how many home runs they hit. If they were to hit two home runs or 440 feet, they get an extra 30 seconds added on to that extra time window after the regulation time ends. The finals is currently set for two minutes and then also 30 seconds added on with also another potential 30 seconds for two home runs or 440 feet yet again. Each contestant is given 45 seconds of a timeout, so they get one timeout to be taken at any time during regulation in all three rounds. Single elimination bracket with three rounds total. The highest seed in each round always will be hitting second, so they end up having to wait. So that really comes down to pressure on the highest seed at the end of the day since they have to watch their opponent hit and then also have to have the clock in the head of how many home runs they have to hit in a certain window. Uh, so for the first round matchups, the heavily favored number one seed, Kyle Schrober, is facing Albert Pujols, the number eight overall seed. Schrober lost in the 2018 Home Run Derby to Bryce Hopper in the finals. He had 55 total home runs, though, in that contest. Put on quite a show. He actually has 29 home runs this year. Hitting 208, so his average is definitely down, but 29 home runs, his power is still there. One thing about Pujols, though, is that he does not have as much power anymore, but it'd definitely be cool to see him in it. He only has six home runs this year and only has one season over 20 home runs in his last five or six years now, which I highlighted a couple episodes ago now. My last episode I did when I was talking about the home run derby, uh, so two episodes ago now. But I think if you look at it, he has his fifth appearance now. He joined six other players with five-plus appearances. This will be definitely something to build his legacy on, just being a part of the home run derby again. Pujols is currently fourth all-time in MLB history with 685 home runs, which is very impressive. And he also came in second in the Home Run Derby in 2003, had a total of 71 home runs in his previous four Home Run Derby contests heading into tonight. And now I'm going to also talk about some other metrics. So the longest career home run for Kyle Schrober is 473 feet. Then you look at Albert Pujols, his longest in the StatCast era, which came in 2015. So a lot of his home runs in his heyday in 2004, 2007, 2010, those days in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, and then even early 2010s, those home runs weren't accounted for in the StatCast era. But his longest in the StatCast era, which came in 2015, was 459 feet. 
I have Schwarber winning this round, uh, but who knows if returning to L.A. Pujols did play for the L.A. Angels for 10 years and also for the L.A. Dodgers for a year. Who knows if going back to L.A. will fire him up and give him some adrenaline to try to keep it close. But I think Kyle Schwarber has way too much talent, way too much momentum to lose this. Uh, so I'll give Schwarber the edge here to win this matchup, but who knows if Pujols were to make it close enough just with the adrenaline of being back in L.A. One thing that worries me, though, about Pujols is that his power just is not there anymore. As I said, his last season with 20-plus home runs came in 2013. So from 2018 to 2022, he has just one season over 20-plus home runs. So his power is not there anymore. So the second-round match was Pete Alonso, two-time reigning champ, going against Ronald Acuna Jr., the seventh seed. So Alonso is the number two seed going for the three-peat. Acuna Jr. is the number seventh seed. Acuna actually faced Alonso in the second round of the 2019 Home Run Derby, uh, but actually lost to him. Very close matchup there in that 2019 round. On the season, Alonso currently has 24 home runs. If he were to reach 30 home runs in this year, it'd be three straight seasons. He has 30-plus home runs. So coming into this year, two straight seasons of 30-plus home runs. He has 130 career home runs. Then you look at Acuna, eight home runs on the year, coming off a tough ACL injury last year. But he actually leads the MLB in average home run distance, according to StatCast, with an average of 437 feet. Acuna has 113 home runs and is only 24 years old. So 113 career home runs, only 24. That's just going to go up. Shows his power is unreal and unmatched. Alonzo has the most home runs ever in a single round with 35 in 2021 and also holds a record for most career home runs in the home run derby with 131. So this will be a high-powered matchup. Acuna actually had 26 home runs in the first round of 2019. I think this will be a very high-scoring matchup. As I said, he can hit 26 home runs. Alonzo can go for 35 like he did in 2021 last year. But I think at the end of the day, I'm going to give the edge to Acuna here. I think he wins this one a very high-scoring game and upsets Alonzo. I don't think Alonzo will three-peat this year. No other contestant has ever done that in home run derby history. Ioana Cespedes did win two home run derbies in a row most recently. Uh, he was the last one to win two in a row in 2013-2014. But I just don't see Alonzo repeating that and winning three in a row this year. But who knows? I mean, he got so hot last year. No one really expected him to go for two in a row, and he did it. So I guess you could never count him out. But I got Acuna winning that matchup. Then the number three seed would be facing the number six seed, Corey Seager, the number three seed versus number six seed, Julio Rodriguez. Corey Seager got 22 home runs in the 2022 season. It would be very cool for him to be back in Dodger Stadium for the first time after leaving them to sign with the Texas Rangers. He's a three-time All-Star, 2020 World Series champion and MVP. He had 104 home runs in his seven seasons with the Dodgers before signing a huge 10-year, $325 million deal with the Texas Rangers in this past offseason. His 59 home runs at Dodger Stadium, which is actually fifth among active hitters at Dodger Stadium. So he definitely knows the ins and outs of Dodger Stadium better than anyone in this contest. He was a home run derby contestant in 2016. He actually hit the third most home runs in the first round with 15, but he lost a very narrow matchup, very close matchup to Mark Trumbo, who actually had 16 in that round. His longest career home run is 464 feet. Then you look across the board, Julio Rodriguez, rookie phenom, has been tearing it up for the Seattle Mariners this year. 16 home runs. He's actually the fourth youngest participant ever in the home run derby. 15 home runs he's hit since May 15th which is actually good enough to be 8th in all of Major League Baseball, according to MLB.com. He's only the 14th rookie to ever participate in the Home Run Derby. 
And he really has great power. He has a 450-foot home run this year, so it shows how much power he has. He's an unreal swing, and the ball just flies off his bat. This will be another great matchup, I think. But I think at the end of the day, I'm going to go with Seagull winning this matchup. I think the adrenaline of him being in L.A. and returning to L.A. will give him all the momentum and energy he needs in the world to try to win this game, uh, this matchup. I think it'll be a very good one, though. I think Julio Rodriguez and Corey Seager will be maybe one of the best matchups. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm going to give Seager the edge just because he's returning to Dodger Stadium and had so much success in the Dodger blue uniform. So the last matchup of the first round is number four seed Juan Soto versus the number five seed Jose Ramirez. This is another high-powered matchup as well. Soto and Ramirez both have 19 home runs on the year. Ramirez is a switch hitter, so I wonder which way he's going to be swinging. Maybe both. Potentially, if he were to take a timeout and he's not doing well on the right side, he might switch to the left. Who knows? I think that'd be really interesting. But uh, one thing about Soto, 113 career home runs to Ramirez's 182 career home runs. This is Juan Soto's second home run derby appearance. He actually appeared last year at 46 home runs in the home run derby last year. He defeated Shohei Otani in the first round and then also at the farthest home run in derby history at 520 feet. He has five home runs in July. He's been heating up as of late, hitting 425 in the month of July. Uh, he's definitely my favorite player in this home run derby, and I honestly think him being fourth or the fourth overall seed is surprising. I think he should have been third seed at worst based solely off his power and his swing, but at the end of the day, fourth seed, I think he has a great chance of winning this just because of how much power he has. With Ramirez, though, this is his first appearance. He's never been a home run derby before, despite his power. I will take Juan Soto in this matchup. I think it should be close, but I'm going to give Juan Soto the edge here. Um, overall, so I'll have Soto defeating Kyle Schwarber in the semifinals. Then I have Acuna beating Seager in the semifinals. Then in the finals, I have Ronald Acuna Jr. versus Juan Soto, and I'm giving Juan Soto the edge. I think Juan Soto beats Acuna Jr. in the finals. That's my finals prediction. I think Soto also have the longest home run in the home run derby. I think my prediction right now is 510 feet, so I don't think he'll hit the 520 foot mark that he hit last year, but I think he'll be just, just under that at 510 feet. I think this would be a great showcase for him to show the Washington Nationals how much money he's worth, and then also show potential trade suitors, whether it's the Yankees, Dodgers, Mets, how much potential he has and how much value he has, especially with all his power. I think this would be a great showcase for him on this national stage, uh, maybe potentially his last time in the Nationals uniform in the All-Star game. So, as I said, I will have Juan Soto beating Ronald Cunha Jr. in the finals. That's my finals matchup. I'm very excited to see how it goes. The Homer Derby every single year is very exciting. Great way to preview the All-Star game right before it. I think the MLB Home Run Derby and All-Star Game, two very exciting days within the MLB season. I'm excited to see how it works out tonight with the Home Run Derby, then also tomorrow with the All-Star Game. Anyways, now I'm going to talk about the MLB Draft, and I'm going to give my best players available heading into Day 2, which is today, rounds 3 through 10. So Brock Porter, six foot four, 208-pound, 19-year-old right-handed pitcher who pitched for St. Mary's Prep of Orchard Lake in Michigan this past year in high school. Uh, he's committed to Clemson. He's the 11th overall prospect by MLB Network, was not selected in either of the first or second rounds of the MLB Draft so far. He's one of the most dominant pitchers, though, in the draft, regardless of age. One of the most dominant high school players as well, which his stats show. Regardless of age, he's one of the best pitching prospects in this draft, according to MLB.com, in my opinion, as well. He's a fastball that has a rating of 70 out of 80 on the tool rating of fastballs. He also has a good curveball, a nice slider, and a changeup as well. Shows great depth on all of those off-speed pitches. His fastball stays consistently mid-90s, around 94 to 97, can get up to 100, so up in 90s. And according to MLB.com, he helped St. Mary's win a state championship in three straight seasons. And I'm going to break down some of his stats that are very impressive. As a junior in high school in 2021, 
in 12 appearances. He was 12 and 0 with a .67 ERA. Only allowed 11 runs, six of those being earned in 62 and a third innings. Just allowed 26 hits and had a 126 strikeout to 17 walk ratio, which is absolutely ridiculous. And held opposing batters to a 122 batting average. And then as a senior in 2022, he was even better. In 10 appearances, he was 9-0 with a .36 ERA. In 58 and two-thirds innings pitched, he allowed only four runs with three of those being earned and had a 115 strikeout to 25 walk ratio. Allowed just nine hits and held opposing batters to .050 of a batting average. Held opposing batters to .050 batting average, which means they got a hit in one in 20 at-bats. Absolutely ridiculous stats. He actually hit six batters this past year, so... He nearly hit more batters than hits he allowed this past year, hitting six batters, only giving him nine hits. So very impressive season for him. He actually allowed only two stolen bases as well. That's another impressive stat. Uh, it's hard to get a jump on him, clearly, if he's throwing 100 miles an hour, So as you can see there. But in his career in high school, in two years, he never lost a game, was 21-0 in 22 appearances with a .52 ERA. He posted a 241 strikeout to 42 walk ratio, allowed 35 hits and just nine earned runs in 121 innings pitched, and averaged over two strikeouts per inning in his career in high school. So it shows he's very dominant. He also hit very well in high school as a batter. As a senior, he hit 459 with 17 RBIs, four home runs, a 500 OBP, an 837 slugging percentage. In a 1338 OPS. I'm not sure why he's been drafted yet. It could have to do with his signability. I did have him not going in my top 15 in my mock. I think if I had to do a 30 pick mock, I would have him probably going around 25. Uh, that would have been worst overall. I think he could have been the 20th overall selection. No one would question that. But with him not being picked yet, I think it could be a signability issue depending on how much money he wants or if it's a hard commit to Clemson. He doesn't want to be signing with the team that drafts him regardless of where he's drafted. That could also be the issue uh, as well of why he hasn't been drafted yet. The next prospect is Jacob Melton, a six foot three, two 208-pound outfielder, 21 years old from Oregon State. 39th overall prospect by MLB Network. He started out as a community college baseball player. Before transferring to Oregon State, he does bring speed to the game and is a very good bat. As a sophomore in 2021 at Oregon State, he hit 404 with a 1163 OPS, six home runs, 25 RBIs, 19 runs scored, and eight stone bases in 32 games. Then you look at it as a junior in 2022, in 63 games, he hit 360 with a 1094 OPS, 17 home runs, 83 RBIs, 21 stolen bases, and 22 attempts, 22 doubles, and four triples. Showed a lot more speed as a junior and a lot more power as well. So uh, his draft stock definitely went up with how well he played this past year. The next guy is Trevor Vreeling, a six foot four, two hundred pound right-handed pitcher, twenty one years old, out of Gonzaga, number seventy one overall prospect at MLB Network. He actually pitched for Bourne in the Cape Cod Baseball League in 2021, so last summer, appearing in seven games, starting at two of those seven, had a 2-0 and record with a 1-0-4 ERA, along with just two earned runs and seven hits and 17 and third innings pitched, 21 strikeouts to seven walks, and 2022 as a junior at Gonzaga, his first year as a full-time starter on the mound. He had a 4-4 four four record in 15 starts with a 4-9-1 ERA, along with 44 earned runs in 80 and two-thirds innings pitched, had a 107-46 to strikeout to walk ratio very good and then also at a 1-5 whip that's not as great he did get hit around this past year which shows that uh, he definitely can be hit despite throwing a fastball get up to 95 that only get better as well uh, but he did get hit around this past year but his success in the Cape Cod Baseball League I think will still get him drafted pretty high um, his 107 strikeouts and 80 and two-thirds innings pitch is very impressive but one thing about him though he definitely has to bring the walks down and then also cut down on the guys on base he's allowing hits as well so 
That's something to work on. And the mine is the next guy I want to talk about is Jonathan Cannon, the six foot six, two hundred thirteen pound, twenty one year old right handed pitcher from Georgia. The number sixty overall prospect on MLB Network. I just saw on MLB Network that he could have been a first round of twenty twenty one, but he had mono in the beginning of the twenty twenty one college baseball season. Ended up missing three weeks and was not pitching well enough in the twenty twenty one season to be drafted. Where talent should have been drafted and deserved to be drafted but as a freshman in Georgia in 2020 he was 3 and 0 in 5 appearances allowed no runs in 11 and 3rd innings pitched 12 strikeouts or two walks and allowed just four hits in those 11.1 innings as a sophomore in 2021 with 4-2 and two and 13 appearances with a 3.98 ERA, allowing 28 earned runs in 63 and a third innings pitched, 57 strikeouts to 13 walks, and also had a 1.089 whip. He pitched in the Cape Cod Baseball League in 2021 for the Orleans Firebirds, had a .69 ERA in three appearances. He allowed only one earned run in 13 innings pitched, allowing nine hits, also had eight strikeouts to three walks. Then as a junior this past year for the Georgia Bulldogs, he had a 9-4 record at 13 appearances, had a 4-2 ERA, 35 earned runs and 78 in a third innings pitched, 67 hits allowed, 68 strikeouts with 12 walks with a 1-0-0-9 whip. His fastball stays mid to upper 90s, can get up to 96. Uh, so it stays around 93 to 95, can get up to 96. He's a very accurate pitcher. We we'll def- definitely have to develop more over time, but I think his potential at being six foot six shows he's a big frame, shows he's a lot to grow, a lot to develop. So I think he should be drafted hopefully today. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is Luke Gold, six foot, 220 pound, 21 year old second baseman for Boston College. I saw him play at BC. Very uh, great player. I'm looking forward to seeing him being drafted hopefully today. He's a number 87 overall prospect on MLB Network. As a sophomore at BC in 2021, he hit 316 with a 940 OPS, 9 home runs, 45 RBIs, 29 runs scored in 44 games. As a junior at BC in 2022, in 53 games, he hit 309 with a 401 OBP, had a 958 OPS this year, also 9 home runs and 37 runs batted in. He played for Katuit in the Cape Cod Baseball League this past year in 2021. In 27 games, he appeared in for them, had 6 home runs, 23 RBIs, 18 runs scored, a 267 batting average, so not as good as he usually is at BC, but he's playing the best of the best in college baseball in the Cape Cod Baseball League, so still impressive. Had a 523 slugging percentage, an 886 OPS, and also had four doubles. He has very good power and could definitely hit for average as well, as seen by his two straight seasons at BC, hitting over 300. So should be drafted early today, hopefully in the third or fourth round, uh, but we'll see where that goes. Uh, Bryce Hubbard, the next player I want to talk about, six foot one, 181-pound left-handed pitcher out of Florida State, 21 years old. He's a number 72 overall prospect on MLB Network. His fastball gets up to 97, so just based off that, he should be drafted pretty high. Played in the Cape Cod Baseball League this past summer and won the championship with Brewster, the Brewster Whitecaps, that is, in 2021. He was 3-1 in six appearances for the Whitecaps with a .87 ERA, three earned runs at 14 hits allowed in 31 innings pitched, struck out 45 batters while walking just eight, had a .71 whip, which is very impressive, and was also tied with Trey Dombrowski, and we're going to talk about in a second. Dombrowski and Hubbard both had 45 strikeouts in the Cape Cod Baseball League last time. I'm both tied for that, uh, and I'm going to be talking about Dombrowski in a second. But this past year at Florida State as a junior starter for Hubbard, he was 8-3 and three on the mound at the 3-3-2 ERA in 15 appearances, 28 earned runs and 76 innings pitched, 96 strikeouts with 21 walks. Very impressive year for him. Hopefully he's drafted early today, hopefully third, fourth round. I think that's where his talent is, especially as how much talent he had in the Cape Cod Baseball League. That shows he's just as good as any. So uh, the next thing I want to talk about is Trey Dombrowski, 6 foot. 235 pound left handed pitcher from Monmouth University, 21 years old, one of my favorite prospects in this draft. He's the number 111 overall prospect on MLB Network. Probably ends up being 
selected between rounds three and six. I'm not really sure uh, where his projection is, but I think that's where his talent probably lies right now. His fastball only gets up to 91, stays around 87 to 90, but his ability to be accurate with off-speed pitches is what really is special and what will get him drafted. 70 out of 80 control on the control tool, so 70 out of 80 on the control too, which is absolutely nuts. And then another thing about him is that he's a dominant slider that stays in the upper 70s, has great movement on his curve as well, and also has a changeup, which makes him very hard to hit since he has so many pitches at off speed that I'll move in different directions. He was absolutely electric in the Cape Cod Baseball League last summer for Harwich. Actually won Pitcher of the Year in the Cape Cod Baseball League in 2021. He led the league in strikeouts with 45, tied with Bryce Hubbard, who I just talked about in a second. Him and Hubbard both had 45 Ks. Dombrowski in Cape Cod uh, last summer for Harwich in six appearances. He was 3-0 with a .85 ERA, which was actually the best in the league as well. So he had the most strikeouts in the best ERA. Allowed just three earned runs in 31 and two-thirds innings pitched, while also striking out 45 batters while just walking two. So it shows his control is absolutely elite. And also had a .916 whip uh, over that stretching in the Cape. So very good pitcher. And then this year at Monmouth, nothing changed as well. 6-2 and two with a 3.88 ERA at 15 appearances. 95 innings pitched with 120 strikeouts to 14 walks. Showed elite accuracy and elite location. Allowed 80 hits and 33 earned runs in 95 innings pitched. But that 120 strikeouts to 14 walks is absolutely ridiculous. Had 106 strikeouts more. Had 106 more strikeouts than he had walks this past year at Monmouth, which is ridiculous. So uh, he's another guy to keep your eye out on. Then there's two guys from Northeastern I want to talk about very briefly. Two pitchers, Cam Schlittler and Sebastian Keen. Schlittler is a six foot six, two hundred ten pound right handed pitcher from Massachusetts, junior right hander from Northeastern, twenty one years old, in a sophomore year at Northeastern in twenty twenty one. He had an eight and one record in thirteen appearances, sixteen earned runs in seventy six and two thirds innings pitched, had eighty five strikeouts or twenty walks in that span. This past year at Northeastern in twenty twenty two, though, he was five and eight, not as much run support, so his record wasn't as great. But in fifteen starts, he allowed thirty five earned runs in ninety one and two thirds innings pitched, posted an eighty five strikeout to thirty two walk ratio and had a 1-1-1-8-9 whip. His fastball gets up mid to upper 90s, uh, has a big frame with great off-speed pitches as well. Uh, he definitely became a key part of that Northeast rotation over the past couple of years. Had a great freshman year as well. Uh, had an ERA around 1 as a freshman. Had a great ERA uh, in his second year at Northeastern as well as a sophomore, but it was just tough for him this past year at Northeastern with a 5-8 and eight record. But as a freshman in 2020, had a 1-3-2 ERA in three games. Then in his second year, a sophomore in 2021, had a 188 ERA to go along with an 8-1 record at Northeastern. And then this past year, 344 ERA. Just did not have the run support that he had his first two years at Northeastern. They didn't really have too much power this past year. Um, they really played a lot of small ball. But uh, still a great year for Schlittler this past year. And then you look at Sebastian Keene, did not have as great of a year, six foot three, one hundred and eighty-seven pound right-handed pitcher, twenty-one years old, from Massachusetts as well. He was actually drafted out of high school out of North Andover High by the Boston Red Sox in the eleventh round in the twenty nineteen MLB draft. As a freshman in twenty twenty at Northeastern, he had three and one record, a four five ERA. In 20 innings pitched, allowed 10 earned runs, 24 strikeouts, of 6 walks, and a 1-3 whip. Then as a sophomore in 2021, a 6-1 record, 409 ERA, and 70.1 innings pitched. 32 earned runs in those 70.1 innings, and 73 strikeouts to 20 walks. He struggled heavily on the Cape Cod Baseball League last summer, 2021. He actually pitched for the Chatham A's of 7 games, was 0-1 with the 3.86 ERA. Uh, one thing he did struggle with, though, was his whip, a 1.571 whip. 
in that Cape Cod League last summer. Nine earned runs in 21 innings pitched, 25 strikeouts and seven walks, allowed 26 hits in those 21 innings. So even though he only had a 3.86 ERA, which is good, uh, not great, he did allow one five seven one whip. Uh, over that stretch in the Cape. Uh, but then as a junior, as a Huskies for this past year, he struggled uh, as well. Uh, he had a 5-5 five five record, a 5-9-9 ERA, 47 earned runs, and 70.2 innings pitched. Uh, did have 50 strikeouts, though, and 26 walks uh, over that stretch, a one five eight five whip. Uh, so once again, uh, his whip was not great. But as a whole, at Northeastern, 14-7 and seven, uh, on the mound for Northeastern, 31 games, a four nine eight ERA, 147 strikeouts and 52 walks, which is great, and 161 innings pitched. He did pitch at the MLB Combine uh, a month or so ago now with Cam Schlittler. Actually, uh, Keen was actually the first pitcher to pitch at the Combine, uh, but I did hear he did well in that. Uh, the MLB Combine was actually just created in the past year for prospects to showcase their talent, potentially also increase their draft stock. So uh, hopefully uh, Keen and Schittler are drafted today. I would be very excited for Northeastern's program, Uh, but I think Keen had a tough last few years at Northeastern, but his fastball stays mid to 90s, 93 to 95, uh, can get up to 97. So uh, I think he definitely has the talent to be drafted by the fifth or sixth round. But who knows, though? His stats the last couple of years weren't great. He could end up falling out of day two and then end up going back to Northeastern since the money he'd be getting as a day three pick, which wouldn't be as great as it would be if he went back to Northeastern for another year and was dominant. But anyways... That concludes this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to being back on here again soon to talk about a ton of stuff that I've been meaning to talk about over the past few episodes. So hopefully in the next couple of days I get that out. But thank you guys again for taking the time to listen to this. I really appreciate it. Hope you have a good one. Thank you.